Um, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and verse 12. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. From Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. But above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do in everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God, the Father, through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Debbie, for reading our scripture this morning. We start a new sermon series today called John's Big Three, studying some of those fundamental aspects of what it is to be United Methodist, a bit like United Methodism 101. So you may be wondering, who is John, and why does he get three of anything? Well, John happens to be John Wesley, who is the unlikely founder, or perhaps unwitting founder, of the Methodist Church. And three refers to three rules or guidelines that he wrote for small groups as they sought to do life and faith together. We're looking at these together. You might be wondering, what are the big three rules? Do no harm, do good, and attend to the ordinances of God, which Bishop Reuben Joe put more plainly as stay in love with God. For the next three weeks, we'll be unpacking these. So we take the first one today. Would you pray with me? God of grace, mercy, God of love, get me out of the way today. May these words be yours. May our actions be yours. May our lives be yours. 
May the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, our redeemer, our savior, our refuge, and all God's people said, Amen. Well, a new person joined the church staff part-time, not here at Ebenezer, but it was a different church years ago. This person was in seminary at the time, learning how to be a pastor, and just three semesters in was convinced that she knew the one right way to do church and insisted that everyone else follow suit according to the way that she saw it. As you can imagine, uh, staff members were offended and hurt. Church members were offended and hurt. Tension and conflict rose by leaps and bounds in the church. Things did get better, but that first year was rough. I was a staff member at the time. And I remember one day when she came up to me in the hallway and rose her voice and stood right in my face and said, I told you what you were doing wrong. What are you going to do about it? Words came to mind. (laughs) Inappropriate words came to mind. Words that I could not use if I wanted to be professional. Words I could not use if I wanted to be Christian. But I wanted to get her back. Right? That's what we're taught. You come at me, attack me, I want to attack you right back. We teach people, hurt me once, shame on you. Hurt me twice, shame on me. I wanted to dish out to her a taste of what she'd been dishing out to many of us for months. But I could feel the Holy Spirit doing some mighty uncomfortable work within me. So what I said was, give me a minute I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to sit on my tongue for a while before I respond. And she took a step back and toned it down a notch or two. And then the Holy Spirit let out these calm, reasoned words from my mouth and thank God for that, only God. And then we were able to have a calm, reasonable, genuine conversation that I hoped would begin to move things forward. But that was not my instinct, not my first, and not my second. Do no harm. That's easier said than done sometimes, right? Let's take a look at these three simple rules and find out a little more about who wrote them and why. John Wesley was an Anglican priest back in the 1700s. He was a type A person. He was a type triple A person, actually. He was always working. And the label Methodist was not a compliment. It was a jab at how methodical he and his brother Charles and their first small group actually were together. His primary focus in life was to reform the existing church. 
He thought people were just going through the motions and he wanted it to mean something. He wanted it to matter. He wanted to blend faith and practice, doctrine and living. He was a practical theologian who wanted faith to be lived in daily life, emphasizing growing in love of God and growing in love with others, that these would be an inextricable combination Relationship with God, lived out in relationship with others, two parts of the same whole. John Wesley started small groups that were dedicated to faith and life, lived and practiced like this. The groups provided support and accountability. And to help guide those small groups, he came up with these three simple rules. Do no harm. Do good, attend to the ordinances of God, or stay in love with God. This is part of our history as United Methodists. And back in the 1700s, according to the Book of Discipline, doing no harm also included avoiding certain things, like swearing, violating the Sabbath, drinking alcohol, arguing, wearing expensive clothes, materialism, and more. Wesley summed it up with what we now call today the golden rule, Matthew 7, verse 12. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Or as the message translation puts it, ask yourself what you want people to do for you and then grab the initiative and do it for them first. Add up God's law and the prophets, Jesus says in this verse, and this is what you get. Do no harm. The goal is to love others well and not leave damage in our wake. It means having self-control and Christ-like character as described in Colossians chapter 3. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, forgiveness, and patience, and putting on this character like we put on a shirt in a life of gratitude. And worship that is centered and grounded in Jesus Christ. What if I had put on that shirt every time I saw that former co-worker coming? What if we put on this shirt before we go out the house every day? What if we put on this shirt before we respond to anyone else? What if we put on this shirt before we sent or wrote an email? What if we put on this shirt before we posted anything on social media? I feel like we need to put on this shirt and keep it handy or simply wear it all the time because it can be a struggle to embody the character of Christ. And one of those problems with which we seem to have the most struggle, Jesus said, is in judging others. According to Barna statistics, 85% of non-Christians say Christians are too critical, judgmental. It's one of the main reasons why folks don't want to come to church. They fear that they will either be the target of those dirty looks and words, or worse yet, they'll become like the Christians who are so judgmental toward others in the first place. And if that's what a Christian is, they want no part of it, do no harm. In our passage today from Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about it. The translation says to not judge, though the Greek there is actually a bit stronger in connotation, more like condemn. Do not condemn 
others. When we condemn others, Jesus says we condemn ourselves. That is one way we as Christians do harm. Jesus says we tend to focus on someone else's flaws and are oblivious to our own, even to our own sinful judging, and we rationalize or explain it away. Jesus uses the image of both sawdust and planks. Interesting, only difference between them, right, is the size. They're made out of the same material, symbolic of our shared humanity and sinfulness. Thomas Akempis, in that Christian classic, The Imitation of Christ, writes this, we condemn small things in others and pass over serious things in ourselves. We are quick enough to feel it when others hurt us and even harbor those feelings, but we do not notice how much we hurt others. And a person who honestly examines his or her own behavior would never judge other people harshly, end quote. When we condemn someone else, we put ourselves in a place we have no right to be. But it happens, right? We do this. So let's talk about it. Who or what are we tempted to judge? Goodness, Christ forgive us. Who or what are we not? The practice of condemning is what we see in the larger culture around us with heightened division in which people talk at each other and media talks at each other rather than having humble, genuine conversations. Candidates build whole campaigns not on their own substance, substance, but pointing fingers at someone else and condemning them. Democrats condemn Republicans. Republicans condemn Democrats. Conservatives condemn progressives. Progressives condemn conservatives. And that practice and rhetoric in the larger culture can wield its way into the church. And that is a problem when we start to do the same thing in what is Christ's body. Perhaps you've read that 1940s book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's a tongue-in-cheek book about how to turn someone away from Christ. And part of the advice in there is that if you can get Christians to find fault in each other, then you can easily get them to miss the whole point of worship and making disciples and following Jesus, and you can get them pointing fingers at each other rather than pointing fingers at the cross together do no harm the unity for which christ prays in the gospel for the church is meant to mean for us a model of something different from the rest of the world do no harm applies to all persons even those with whom we disagree And at Ebenezer, here, that's a healthy challenge. We are a big tent church, which means that we have some diversity and we have people on all sides of various issues, and it has been that way for many years. We are a mixture of people who in the world outside these walls might point fingers at each other, but in here, as we gather together, we become the body of Christ, one 
body. Church together, part conservative, part progressive, part please don't talk about this anymore, part traditional hymns, part praise band hymns, part commanders fans, part cowboys fans, part night owls, part Dunkin' Donuts, part put sugar on your grits, part please put butter and salt on them, part what in the world are grits. Part, put the fork tines up in the dishwasher. Part, put the fork tines down. But when it comes to worship, we know what it is to lay that stuff down. To forget what side of a thing we're on. And the only thing to which we raise our voices or about which we raise our voices is in worship to sing songs in praise to the Lord our God who loves us unconditionally and calls us to do the same. We know what it is to be brothers and sisters in Christ side by side and that is a beautiful and sacred thing. We know what it is to make a difference in our community and in places as far away as Sierra Leone. We know what it is to come together and get school supplies for kids in need at nearby elementary schools. We know what it is to come together and help a family of refugees start to feel at home. We know what it is to listen to someone who's hurting. We know what it is to answer the call of Christ to be one body together. We know what it is. And we do come side by side at a baptismal font and side by side at a communion table to worship and serve the God who loves us and we still get to be blown away by that. To do no harm, Bishop Reuben Job writes, means that we will be on guard so that all our actions and even our silence will not add injury to any of God's children or to ourselves, inside or outside the church. Years ago, I was uh, getting on a train that was going to London to visit some friends of mine. There was one seat left on the train, so I sat in it, put my suitcase in my lap, and pulled up my chips, drink, and a sandwich that I had just hurriedly purchased at the train station. There was a young man sitting in the seat across from me, and he pulled out his chips, drink, and a sandwich. It was the very same chips, drink, and a sandwich. We looked at the food in our laps and we started to laugh. He started to talk. And he pulled out his iPod and he wanted me to listen to some of the music that he'd been so interested in lately. And before I knew it, we both had the same set of earbuds plugged into the same iPod as we were going down the tracks. And then he started telling me about his life. And I'm sure this also happens to Pastor Donovan, Pastor Joe, and others that complete strangers will begin to tell us their whole life stories. And that's what happened. 
he began to tell me all about the horrible things that had happened to him in his life, to him and to his family, some of which happened at the hands of a church. And as he kept talking, he told me he hated the church. He hated Christians. He was angry at God and he hated pastors. And then he said, what do you do? Um, I said, I work with students. (laughs) And that was partially true because the church I was serving at the time was near a university and I spent some time as a campus pastor there. But this young man kept asking me, what students, where and why? And before long I had to admit that I'm a pastor. And when I said that, His defenses went up. His whole demeanor changed and he pointed a finger at me and said, then you tell me why those things happened to me. Whole train got silent. And I started praying, Holy Spirit, sit on my tongue and make it into what you want these words to be said, I don't know. I'm sorry those things happened to you. I'm sorry the church treated you like that. That doesn't sound like God to me. What I do know is that God loves you and loves me and loves your family. And I know that God is with you all the time through everything. And some days at the end of the day, that's the best I've got. And I could watch the Holy Spirit begin to de-escalate the tension. I saw his shoulders relax. And he started talking again. And this time we were talking about God's love. And we were talking about God's grace. And then we got to the train stop. And he reached for my suitcase, carried it for me, and we went out the car and up the stairs together. And then we exchanged email addresses and musical artists and um, hugs. And I was pretty sure I'd never hear from that young man again. Years later, I opened up this old email account I had and saw an unfamiliar address sitting in my inbox. And I opened it up and it said, Dear Emily, you probably don't remember me, but I sat across from you on a train one time to London. And he told me how much that conversation had made a difference in his life. How God had used that conversation toward healing, toward new life, toward love and grace. And he said, you know what, now I'm volunteering and I'm helping others who've been hurt by the church too. Do no harm. 
be aware of the damage we can leave in our wake. Some harm does not heal. Do no harm. How about this week? Before we act, before we speak, we ask the Holy Spirit to sit on our tongues and shape what it is that comes out. How about before we fire off that email, we ask the Holy Spirit to sit on our fingers at the keyboard and shape what comes out? How about before we post that fiery thing on social media, we ask the Holy Spirit to sit on our hands at the smartphone and shape what happens next? May we let God decide the words and the actions and may we put on that character of Jesus Christ as his disciples and let him transform our human instincts into who he calls us to be. Amen and amen.